What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Kicks and Picks Podcast. We are here with the full squad, Nick, Coach Steve, and Scotty. It is the last week of European club football of the season. Uh, boys, good episode today. We are going to talk about the bittersweet Europa League final, uh, put a bow on that Premier League, and talk the final races in Italy. Coming off of a what feels like forever ago, our, our first winning week in quite some time, so five and three with two pushes up over a unit. Game of the week, another winner, so looking to Back close on track. that. On a high, um, shit. Let's let's get right into it. And uh, like I said, very very bittersweet for the Europa League, as we all know. Coach Steve, uh, you know, we're looking at him here. He's a little bummed out after Roma couldn't get the job done. However, as a podcast, we are riding a high because Sevilla was our future pick for that competition. If you guys followed along with our uh, Europa League preview episode, plus 1,200 was the number. So very happy to cash that one. Um, you know, I, I think this is a tough game to watch. Um, I want to get Coach Steve's thoughts on it first. I would say before he goes, um, certainly some questionable refereeing in this one. But for my money, um, Mourinho got it pretty wrong. And, and there's some big news coming out of uh, – his camp according to coach yeah i mean they, they approached the way you expected him to approach it dibal starting was a little bit of a surprise he kept that card close to his vest before the pre you know in the pre-match press conference said he had about 30 minutes left in him ended up playing 67 minutes and started scored the goal for roma um and you saw they're a different team when he's on the pitch after he came up the pitch there, there was not much going forward yeah um, it's been that problem all season I think they did play a little too defensive. Like those first five minutes of the second half, I just had a bad feeling right around the 50th minute. I'm like, this does not feel right. Yep. Um, Credit to Sevilla for making the two changes because I think Suzo and Lamelo kind of changed that uh, approach a little bit for them. They played heel and the other kid who who were not doing anything in the first half um, in their attacking midfield. And and that kind of changed their approach a bit. And I, I felt like Roma was, going to give up chances. And like five minutes later, I think it was around the 55th. They, they did give up the goal, which ended up being an own goal. Um, defender coming back toward the goal, defending the, the striker Mancini went in and off his knee. So kind of hard luck on the goal. But um, when he, when he got to penalty kicks, the, I, I wasn't crazy about the choices for penalty kicks. I know a lot of the, the bigger players were off the pitch, basically dealing with injuries and fatigue. Uh, you know, we'd mentioned Dybala, Pellegrini, um, Matic came off who probably would have taken one because he's one of Mourinho's, yeah. you know, go-to guys in, in big situations. And I was surprised that Mancini and Ibanez went before El Shorari and Belotti. I thought those two guys, and when, when Haldem would have shot before one of those center backs went, um, didn't work out. I mean, credit to Sevilla. I thought the refereeing, you're right. I thought it was a little one-sided. I'm not blaming the referee for Roma losing in, in no way, shape, or form because both teams had a penalty not called for them. Um, so I guess it evened out. I thought the handball was pretty, pretty clear. I yeah. thought I thought his arm was pretty far off his body. I don't know if that was because they took away the one on Ibanez for Sevilla that would have given them a chance to take the lead. I don't know if that was any way in, uh, you know, you're supposed to be unbiased in those calls, but, you know, there's sometimes that yeah. tit for tat when you're making those refereeing decisions. So I don't know if that had anything to do with it, but um, I thought Sevilla got away with a lot more than Roma did. And I, I, it seems that way a lot. And I don't think that's me being biased as a Roma fan. I mean, yeah. were, I think seven cards Roma's way and the only guy on the pitch for Sevilla that got one was Rakitic until Lamella got one for yeah. elbowing Ibanez in, in extra time. 
So that, that didn't feel right. But um, I thought the match would have been a 50, 50 from the get go. And it felt that way throughout, but I thought Roma did a pretty good job limiting Sevilla's chances. It, it just, they, they couldn't get that second goal, which I think was necessary in this match. I, I wasn't as confident they would win one, nothing like they did in the conference league last year. And they, they've yeah. tried to do so often in Europe. And, um, you know, Spinozola had a really good chance about eight minutes in that could have really started right him off well. Yeah. Um, but it was a tale of two halves. And then I think fatigue set in and then both teams got tentative toward extra time. The extra time wasn't much going either way. And sucks because they won't be back in the Champions League. You know, the trophy would have been obviously nice as well. But the Champions League carrot was there as well. And um, 11th place of Vies and go to the Champions League in, instead of Roma. So it, it is what it is to be a, remains the, the kings of uh, Europe's second competition. Yeah, I mean, who would have thought that of the three kicks and picks squads, Knicks is the only one in Champions League for 2023-2024? Nobody, first of all. Nobody would have thought that. But uh, let's talk about the combined zero trophies, I think, which is a little more troubling. So, I mean, listen, I could... I could be excited for Lazio, which I guess I am. I mean, I was really... You guys know me. I was on the Saudi out train all year. Uh, I'm not convinced by him. I'm still not. But... Guess what? Yeah, second play. It's it's almost like Arsenal season, right? We can hang our hat on the best season we've had in however many years, but we're walking away with nothing. So, but coach, I gotta say, you know, you're not complaining. You had some some criticism of the refs, but as a Premier League fan, let me tell you, like, welcome to our world. I mean, you had Anthony Taylor as the, the head ref. You had Michael Oliver as the fourth official on the time board. You had Stuart Atwell on VAR with Chris Kavanaugh, who was his assistant. That is a murderer's row of of people that. Klopp has personal vendettas against and people have always roasted Klopp for being a complainer about the premier league referees. You know, he was obviously suspended for the second to last game of the season for some of the comments that he's made, but it's a very well-known fact that the, the English refereeing is just subpar at best. Um, so I think you finally got to see a little bit of the pain that some of the, the Liverpool fans and some of the other squads have, have had to endure throughout this season. Um, I will say, I mean, Marino criticism is, is super valid. I mean, obviously the, the penalty kick takers, I don't know if he's the one that determines that if there's some other discussions that go on in the huddle before the PKs happen, but that, you know, that's probably going to be the, the leading headline is you don't really want to send out your two center halves and defensive mid to, to kick off the first three uh, PKs. I put out my joke that, it, you know, he left Zach Britton warming up in the pen waiting for to take his penalty because it felt very reminiscent of Nick's Orioles team that went out in the wild card with their yes. stud closer, just sitting in the bullpen, not getting a pitch. Um, but honestly, I think that the biggest criticism of Mourinho in this one, and I know it's his play style, but um, you know, after they scored that first goal, uh, it was 73% possession in favor of Sevilla. That's just way, way too much. I mean, I get mm-hmm. that you want to play defensive, but you're probably still looking for like a 60, 40 split there. I think even more damning than that is they had a 56% pass completion percentage after after they uh, scored that first goal. And that's really the killer, right? That that means you're not getting um, shifting from defense into offense. You're probably giving up the ball in transition. And we saw that you know time and time again. I think that's probably more so on the midfield than anything. But um, you know it, it's tough when you're looking at some of these numbers that it, it really did seem a lot more one-sided than I know we talked about shots on target, but even shots in general and, and key chances, it's, you know, Sevilla basically doubled up Roma in, in that category over the last 70 minutes and then including extra time. Yeah. So the other thing I'll say, uh, you know, I, I didn't give Sevilla enough credit, right. They had that chance in the first half where they hit the post, which was a yeah, great right a pitch. chance. Right um, you know, they, they definitely, um, as Scott mentioned, right. The lion's share of possession where it mattered. Um, 
I almost wonder, like this game seemed to me like, like Mourinho wanted to go out as a martyr. Like he wanted to go out and say, look, I could win this game one, nothing. Like that's what I do. That's what I've been doing. It's possible. Look at the squad I have. We did it. And that's exactly how it felt to me after that goal. Um, I, I think Are you telling me that this, Mourinho was stubborn, Nick? No way. Yeah. Unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. Right. Hold the press. Right. <laughs> um, no, and, and that's kind of the vibe you got the whole time. Now, refereeing, I think, probably put Roma on edge, right? Because you had four or five guys on yellow. So um, who knows if that cramped the play style a little bit. I think every substitution that was made, even before the penalty kick, just seemed ridiculous to me. I think Dybala, obviously, you mentioned it, Coach, right? That had more to do with fitness. but Yeah, I um, started matching a month. So You know, it just, it just never seemed to me like he, he was making a substitution to win the game. He was making a substitution to try to get to penalty kicks. And then you get to penalty kicks, and the longtime least favorite player of this podcast, Roger Ibanez, is just a guy had a terrible game. I mean, he, he missed a wide-open goal. Um, I shouldn't yeah, say that. That's not that a guaranteed one. goal. But yeah. he missed a chance in front of the net where, like, yeah. you're all alone in front of the net. You better get it on target. He scuffed it about 20 feet wide. Um, he had that very, very lucky, fortunate penalty not given. I don't know necessarily that it was a penalty because he did get some of the ball. But he got abused by his man to even let him buy him in the first place. Um, so, uh, I mean, rough, rough game from him. I, I think the midfield was running on fumes. And Tammy... I, I listen. Dud he has to have the, the dud of the season has to be. And I, well, I he thought was he was going to be awesome. of the season. He to was. Start the season. I, I got him a thousand percent wrong. I watched what he did last year. I thought he was going to build on that campaign. He went completely in reverse. And Where, for me, where's his valuation now? His coach said million? he was a hundred no, million no, I, listen, striker it, this they, time last year. They bought him for 40. I think they could probably realistically expect to get 25 to 30 for him today you see i don't know because premier league teams throw money around so sure i could i could see an aston villa who's back in europe say okay we'll at least pay you what you paid for him because he is he there's the it's the english tax right just like when we see italian players switch big clubs within italy there's always like that tax for an italian player like guys get overvalued and I feel like it's the same way with the with the English players but he's terrible playing in england look at the valuations of some of these guys like grealish and rice and you compare them to players from around the world that play their position. They're, they're probably not as good and sure. they're going to get paid. You they're can thank make- the, uh, the homegrown rule for that in the premier league. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, so Tammy was awful. Belotti came on. He actually had one decent chance, but did yeah. nothing that I could remember outside of that. And um, Smalling had the header off the crossbar, right? Right at right. the end, right before penalty yeah. kicks, which was, would have been yeah. some goal because he like looped it over the keeper, yeah. but. Yeah. Um, so also um, just, had, just Bono, he had a hell of a game. Yeah. Bono too much had, going against Roma. Bono had a great game keeper for, for Sevilla. Yeah. And like, let's not forget that he was also the keeper for Morocco when they were making mm-hmm. the run to whatever it was, the quarterfinals on just the fact that they never conceded. So yeah, I think he's gonna be a guy that probably, you know, is going to be making some waves here in probably the next few years. I can't imagine oh, he stays cool. at Sevilla very much longer. Uh, you say that, but Sevilla is uh, averaging a fucking trophy a year. So I don't know where, where's he going? I mean, I'm sure there's going to be a Premier League club that would splash the cash for him. Somebody like Chelsea, who's going to be looking for a keeper in the next. Yeah, that's where I want to go. Sure. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. I get what you you're say saying. That now, I'm not, Nick, I'm not, yeah. But when that when they're offering to write you checks that are twice the what you're making at any other club, and that's in the, the you know ballpark of millions and millions of pounds a year, then I think you would consider it. And All right. So I, oh, I, I just want to say I thought of it as Scott was talking and how like after I think the goal is like around the 20th, 22nd minute for DiBala, like. Scott was given all those stats. It's almost like Roma scored too early, right? For yeah, the way they like to play. 
Definitely. You're never going to say, I don't want to score a goal in the first 20 minutes, but knowing the way Mourinho then is comfortable defending so much, you almost like would rather wait until like early second half to score. If it's a zero zero, obviously you don't want to concede before that either, but. Yeah, Mourinho's um, game plan was to win that game one nothing, and he had no other game plan. Right. There was right. no other consideration. Right. It's like if we're winning this, we're winning this one nothing, and that's it. So and just so um, just to go back to the subs when you you mentioned the subs, there's not a lot of bench there. That's the problem, right? That's Financial the other thing. Fair play limited. Yep. Um, Solbach is not on the their Europa League roster because of the FFP rules. So you know he, they couldn't replace Daniela with him. So there's one attacker out the window who's been pretty good lately in Serie A. He's he's shown some nice flashes. Um, you know, the wing back position, you got Zalewski coming on, who's not really a wing back. He was limited. Um, you know, it, it's sure. just, he's been, he's been saying it all year and he can sound like he's complaining, but he speaks the truth when, and, so, and, that, so, and just to say like Lazio, they crash out of Europe early, right? If, if Roma's out just as early, I think you see a different Roma in Serie A too, right? So it's, 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 the depth is not there for your, I think it would be the same thing for Lazio. Lazio made a deep run in Europe, right? The depth is not there to compete on both fronts. Mourinho made his choice, and and this was the more likely path after their, that rough stretch they had, and came down to penalty kicks, and, and that that was it for him. Sure, and listen, they were they were in it, right? So, again, credit to Sevilla, credit to us for picking them, um, even at the pain of coach. So let's let's decide right now what what do we make of this Roma season? Is it a failure of a season? They're looking at well. We're going to get into them a little more, but they're looking at second or third tier of Europe. They are trophyless. Um, you know, they're finishing behind a pretty lackluster group of teams in the league. Um, and, and they lost this game. So, Scotty, you've been on the Mourinho out bandwagon. You actually, you not only have you been on it, but you built the fucking bandwagon. Um, I did. So you've been driving that through. Coach, you've been a defender of him for two years, um, and, and I'll say, obviously, he won the Conference League last year. Tremendous accomplishment. But you're talking about back-to-back sixth, seventh-place finishes um, in his two years. He's spent money. I mean, yeah, yeah, you talked about financial fair play, It's but it's Italy, right? He's I think he's gotten players he's wanted, for the most part, within reason. What do you make of Mourinho? Is this season a success or a failure? I'll I'll go first, coach, because I know you'll have deeper thoughts on it. I, I think so, so to clarify my stance on Mourinho out, I say that almost as like a like this is probably what's in coach's best interest because we all know that the wheels usually fall off on the Mourinho bandwagon going into year three. And I think I, I tried to predict it a little early. I had him, you know, starting to fall off in February. I think there's maybe some wobbles, but he righted it. And now we're starting to see some some cracks in the bandwagon floor. For me, I, I think if if they can get into Europa next year, I don't know that it would be a complete failure. You get a cup final, you get a, you're basically treading water in terms of your European competition. If they're stuck in a conference league, it's tough to say that that was a success. Um, I think there's a lot of, you know, criticism that would be fair to to levy on Mourinho in that sense. But um, the players he's bringing in aren't game changers right like i guess we talked about dibala at the beginning of the season how i kind of called him dibala more of a luxury player than like a you know build a you know build a team around him kind of guy um i think that's probably still true and i don't know coach maybe you'll agree with that now but yeah sure he banged in what is it 20 something goals this season but wasn't always like 17 and 7 or something like that Yeah, wasn't always available kind of playing half healthy at most of the most of the second half of the season um certainly was 
Roma's best player in, in the final today, but um, you know, still not enough to, to, to score the goals that were needed. And I think the problem with Mourinho is in Italy, there's lots of great defensive teams. Like what he does is nothing special in that sense. Like you're looking at some of like the Inters and Milans and even Torino have great defenses. So if you're trying to come out here and win three points and, you know, build up a, a, a season, you know, tally of points that gets you into a champions league or even win a title, you got to get goals. And his setup is not built around that. And so there's plenty of teams that can build up strong defenses and hold you to draws and, you know, keep you to, one point per per match and that's not going to be enough to get to the higher levels of the league so um you know as coach will say there there may be some movement in the Mourinho camp um coming in the next week or so and if that's the case i think it's probably the right time because i, I can't imagine year three would be any better for for roma under Mourinho. yeah i wouldn't say the season's a complete failure i i, I think it's hard to say it's a failure because reaching a european final is a big deal for a club like roma it, it really is um you know, they they hung around the fourth place battle for a long time until they got the injuries to Dybala and Smalling and Lorente and when Halda went down again for a little bit and, and you know, other players got hurt. And at that point, he had to make a choice. I think he made the, the logical choice when you look at how difficult it is when you're, you know, it wasn't just like they were battling just Milan for fourth place or something, right? They were battling Atalanta, Juve, still had the 10 points, which makes a difference, I think, in the approach to um in, to defend him a little bit more on the decision and when you're battling three teams for one spot or win win a two-legged tie against Leverkusen and then one off against Sevilla or Juve I think that's the logical choice to take and he took that choice so I don't fault him for falling out of the top four because the roster wasn't there I mean you saw the, the lineups they had to run out the past couple weeks I mean Primavera kids Misori and and Bove's played a lot Bove's played well um he looks like a, a player I like him Roman born so there there are some bright things and I think even if Mourinho is going, which it sounds like he is, he made some comments that, you know, he wants to stay, but he feels like this is the right time to go. I think Scott has some points there. There will be some people who are negative of his time in Rome, I'm sure, because of the way he's played, right? But if you look at Roma before he came, right, are his league results better than Paulo Fonseca? No, but Roma won a trophy. He attracted a player like Dybala to the club, right? Players like Wijnaldum. These players don't come without him. Now, Wijnaldum, that was a freak injury kind of derailed his season, which which is disappointing because that could have changed things too in the first half of the season a little bit in the midfield. But, I mean, I, I think what he's brought the most to the club and to some of these players is the mentality of how to grind through some of these matches, right? Think about Roma in the past, Nick. You've, you've been watching these teams in the Champions League. Scott's seen them too. Scott saw them against his Liverpool uh, five years ago, right? Roma made a semifinal against Liverpool, got absolutely fucking destroyed. They made the semifinal in the Europa League uh, two years after that, got absolutely destroyed by United in a similar fashion, right? That doesn't happen with Mourinho, in part because of the style of play he plays, he's more pragmatic, but also because he builds the team up from a, like that mental standpoint. Yeah. that and, and that was lacking. We've seen Roma blow plenty of matches against smaller sides in my time as a fan about got over 15 years now going up close to 20 years and i think he's done that for a lot of these players the pellegrinis the mancinis um we've seen improvements in them we've seen and one thing he always got criticized for was not using young players i know it was a little bit forced here at roma because he didn't have the roster depth of a of a united or a real madrid or any of those teams but zalewski looks like he could be a player bove looks like he could be a player right he's brought other players through which i think is a benefit to the club and um 
there was one other point Scott made and I'm, I'm blanking on it now, but I, I, I don't think being in Europa League is the end of the world next season. It, it sucks because financially it's going to suck. You're going to, you know, Lazio's going to have more money coming in than they normally would. And that's, that's not something I would they, worry too they, much they, about. They won't spend it. Right. But um, you always want champions league. I mean, Roman needs champions league because yeah. they don't have money. Their, their financial fair play is, is going to be an issue and it's going to continue to be an issue. I do think though, if he leaves, I think you have to replace him with somebody of quality and, and experience, right? I don't think you could go the route of like the inexperienced guy from, you know, uh, well, I hear sec- Spalletti is leaving Napoli. Yeah. He won't be back. Again. I, I think he burned those bridges. <laughs> that I, may I, be I the biggest failure of Roma's season yeah. is the fact that Spalletti won with Napoli. I feel like that's probably what hurts the most. Yeah. So, I mean, disappointing season, I think in some ways, because top four was the stated objective and, you know, they didn't get the trophy in the end, but I wouldn't call it a, an out and out failure. I think there were a lot of things that were just too much to overcome in the end. Fair enough. Let's um let's roll on to, to England league finished up last week. Uh, another shout out to the kicks and picks squad as our, our main future bet. Uh, well, one of two involving Newcastle, but the more realistic one of Newcastle finishing top four plus 900 check um i mean that was wrapped up two weeks ago but i never tire of being able to say it so I'm very proud of that one um a lot of things to go through i mean I, I think now knowing the teams that made europe um let, let's let's quickly run through them guys united liverpool brighton and and villa um you know granted not all champions league right united are, are the ones out of that group to make champions league which has to be pretty successful for them considering they started off the year like shit kicked Ronaldo off of the team um, and they had a, a real resurgence, but these other three teams, I, I mean, outside of pool who, again, um, you know, pool, uh, uh, Scotty said down it from season. the beginning of the year, right. Rebuilding it was going to be a, a down season, a restructuring season. Um, they did really, really well. They were in eighth, ninth, 10th place for the majority of the year. They did really well to come up and finish fifth. Um, but Brighton and Villa, I mean, who on the planet would have thought, yeah, and Brighton, after losing their manager, savior, Graham Potter, to Chelsea in, in their money, and then Potter eventually leaving Chelsea, now free agent manager, and Brighton picking up to Zerbi from Sassuolo, um, now sees themselves in Europa. Um, so I think that's probably maybe the biggest accomplishment. I think Villa moving up 11 spots after getting rid of my boy Steven Gerrard and bringing in uh, Unai Emery, that's also a huge accomplishment. Um, Conference League is... Not quite Europa League, which is obviously not quite Champions League, but still a, a solid accomplishment considering they were in a relegation battle in December. Um, so two huge turnarounds there. Credit to both of those managers. Um, I think Emery was always a, a known commodity, but I think um, Deserby has really done a, a, a tremendous uh, amount of work on you know building up his reputation. I think he's probably... He'll probably get another bigger job probably in the next few years too, right? When you see start to see some of these other clubs um, moving on from their managers, I think he'll probably be a name that gets thrown out, you know, from now on. Um, but Poole, uh, happy to see the season come to a close. I think a lot of Liverpool fans have been looking forward to the summer because one, the season's over and it's been largely disappointing. But two, I think there's a lot of players that are going to actually come in and uh, reshape this midfield. Um, you know, the, the midfield has been the weakest point all season long. I think the reason why they started to see success in the second half of the season um, or towards the end of the second half of the season was the offense started to click a little bit more. They started bringing Trent 
Alexander Arnold in from right back into playing more of like a holding midfield position when in possession. And that kind of helped with the midfield control. Um, and now that you're seeing some names around like Alexis McAllister and um, Manu Kone and um, you know, some of the other top talents in, in Germany, I think there's, there's certainly some excitement that, you know, we'll have a refreshed midfield ready to go next season. And hopefully the, the defense will kind of follow in, in suit. I think it's a, a breath of fresh air. I was just going to say to see some of these teams in, yep. in Europe, right? It's a change. And I, obviously I'll be rooting for Brighton to do well in the Europa League because I, I like to see Deserby do well. He's a young up and up and coming Italian coach. You know, we follow study how we follow them at Sassuolo and he is um, certainly a, <clears throat> play. His teams play very, very nice football. He's like a Guardiola kind of like not protege, but he, he likes to model himself after that. I know he studied with Guardiola a little bit, but when he was in between jobs and things like that, Villa, great story. You know, the way they bounce back from the relegation zone. I, I they, they're kind of a fun team to watch as well. I, we, we had a little fun with them betting them this year. Yeah. Um, United back in the champions league, always, always a, a good thing for football, right. In terms of, I know disagree. It, it, Scott would disagree, <laughs> but it, in terms of when you're looking at like those marquee, like, yeah. week, you know, midweek like nights to see. Yeah. United it's... is that team in England because, you know, city's great now, you know, uh, Newcastle, it's great to see them back. They haven't been there in 20 years. That, that's a great story. And we predicted that, which is nice too. Um, Arsenal back to Champions League is a lot of fun because before City had all this money and Chelsea had all this money, I know Chelsea's a little longer ago than City, but who were the big teams in England really, right? It was Liverpool, Man U, Arsenal. Those were the cream of the crop. Newcastle. And, and, and Newcastle, right? And now we have, except for Liverpool, we have those teams back on the Champions League. And I think it'll be fun to see some new blood. I mean, Newcastle is a fun story now, but they are part of that kind of that Saudi conglomerate, right? So they're probably yeah. going to start to feel like city soon. So Newcastle are going to wear out their welcome quickly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll enjoy it for like the season or so because they're going to probably start to feel like city, I'm sure, yeah. at some point. But it's good to see different teams. And man, Chelsea sitting down there. What, what they didn't finish in eleventh, I think it was. Oh, or yeah, didn't even didn't even bring something. them up yet. Love yeah, it. Yeah, didn't didn't even get to that <laughs> mid table point. Um, so I, so I wait that's we'll a that's a good question that, right? no no so who had a more disappointing season from your guys perspective chelsea or tottenham 100 i think chelsea because chelsea spent 650 million dollars in the summer and you know yeah. winter windows to basically overhaul their squad and yet in all of that spending they failed to buy a true nine which is really what they've been needing for two years now um so I think that's probably the most disappointing. The fact that they've been through like four managers in you know the last eighteen months is pretty bad. I mean Tottenham, you know, they've also been poor, but their expectations aren't where Chelsea's are for for better or for worse. You know Tottenham is typically pretty happy getting into top four, competing for top four, They're maybe winning a discount trophy like the um, Carabao Cup, but. Chelsea, the expectation there was that they were 100% going to be in top four. They were probably going to win some trophy, whether it's domestic cup or or otherwise. And they came close to none of those. So, so uh, I would honest say question, because I forgot who was Chelsea's manager at the beginning of the year. Let's see. Let's let's we can work backwards. Um, so they fired. No, no, no they, they like, hired Potter from Brighton. or something like it that. It was Tuchel. Yeah. They, 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 they oh, Tuchel. that's right. That's right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. They I, went through so many. Forgot. I just assumed it was oh, yeah. Potter. I no, I had to forgot. go backwards because I knew they were, I knew they were on, they went through three managers. So I had to like get. Through. Okay. So I was going to almost try to make the argument that maybe Tottenham had a worse year because Conte started the year as the manager, but I forgot that Chelsea had Tuchel. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I take that. Let me walk that back. I'll agree with you guys. But, yeah. um, 
Yeah. So, uh, I mean, we know there's going to be turnover there at Chelsea because there will have to be. Um, what do you guys make of Tottenham? I mean, what are they going to do this offseason? Is this the last of the group that they yeah. have currently? They're, I mean, honestly, it, I think there's more hope for Chelsea than Tottenham. I think Tottenham are kind of fucked right now because, you know, they, they had Paratici, who was their sporting director, who was this suddenly suspended and can't work. <laughs> the for architect of scandal. Months. Yeah. Um, so that's basically put Levy in this de facto sporting director position again. Um, he was notoriously difficult to work with. It's why Pochettino left. It's why Mourinho left. It's why Conte left. And they've had numerous managerial candidates interview and basically, you know, turn down the job or, you know, you know, remove themselves from consideration. So uh, I think they got to find a manager. Um, I don't know who they're going to get. That's going to be of quality. They're, they're listing some guy in the Scottish league right now, who I guess is doing pretty well. Um, a Greek guy. I, I can't tell you what his name is off the top of my head. And then from there, their, their season, their entire off season rebuild is going to be predicated around what to do with Harry Kane, because he's in the last year of his contract. He's hundred percent, not going to resign another one. Man United is rumored to be coming in heavy for him again. Um, and it's basically, it feels like what's going to happen. If I can put, look in my crystal ball is it's going to be Levy trying to spend two and a half months trying to keep Kane for the last year of his contract only to sell him with like two weeks to go and then trying to panic buy some replacements. And it's just going to be a disaster. So I, I don't, I mean, I don't really see many good things for, for Spurs this summer. I mean, I know they just completed the Kulisevsky signing and made that official, but like that's going to be spun as like a new signing basically. And, and one of the players they brought in as opposed to just keeping talent on their squad already. Um, so it's going to be tough. I mean, the smart thing for them would be to sell Kane now for whatever they can get from United or whomever. Um, and then take that money, let Richarlison play up top as a nine and invest that in the midfield. Um, Cause there's plenty of good midfielders that are available right now. Declan Rice is available. That would be a huge signing. Um, obviously all the people that Liverpool are looking at, they could be technically competing for, although they don't have Europa league. Um, but they need to do some serious midfield overhaul if they want to compete for top four next season. Yeah, I, I would say, and I, I jumped in there too, but I think Chelsea 100% worst season for the, the reasons Scott mentioned, right? They spent tons of money. Had, were a team that was coming off the Champions League. They're in a Champions League campaign team, right? And just they didn't do anything this year, right? All the money they spent and they didn't even get – into anywhere close to European qualification, not even close Spurs, at least, you know, took it to pretty close to the end, but um, Spurs, uh, it's funny. Scott said it about the managers because Mourinho has professed love for all the teams he's managed before, except for one and Spurs um, because they treated him like shit out the door right before a cup final. And he's bitter about that, of course, because, you know, he's, he's a guy who likes to, to live trophies, but it just kind of shows the way Spurs run things over there. Like compared to, it wasn't the greatest spell for him at United, but he still, you know, has respect for that club. And, and, the, you know, just as an example, and I think Spurs, if they can't find a manager, that's going to be tough. And, and the Kane situation will be interesting because last year of his contract, you can't afford to lose him for free next summer. No way. Right. He's too valuable. And this summer, somebody's still probably going to get a little bit of a cut rate on him because there's only a year contract left. Yeah, he's 31. Um, he's got yeah. a year left on his contract. I mean, he he wants to stay in England because I think he wants to try to like cement that like Premier League goal scoring record. But it sounds like if Tottenham sell him, they want to sell him abroad. I mean, maybe PSG would make sense in that case. But I saw Bayern link too, but I don't think Bayern's yeah. going to spend that kind of money. On you know, what's interesting is striker. Benzema is supposedly going to Saudi Arabia, so maybe Real Madrid will come in for him, and make him their number nine. 
Yeah, I, I do think he wants to stay Premier League, but that's going to be interesting to see because you, if you're Spurs, you don't want to sell him within the league. You don't. He's your all-time leading goal scorer with the Premier League all-time leading goal scorers. He's like an icon of the club. He's how old? Because like in my head, 31. he's like 32. Yeah, okay. He's 31, yeah. Okay, I feel a little bit better. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to double-check that, but I'm pretty sure he's like... All right, just kidding. He's 29, turning 30 in July. Yeah, see? So, so he, another example of somebody who, like, I feel is 32, 33, but he's really a whole lot younger. I just went through this with somebody else, and I... Yeah. Drawing a blanket, who it was, but um, shit. In oh. any case, uh, let's get on to relegation. Uh, first and foremost, we have saved Everton season. That is a another kicks and picks exclusive. Our good friend Steve Cerruti came on. He we told him it was going to happen. We had to sweat it to the very last week, but they are staying in the Premier League. Leicester's Cinderella story has finally come to a close. Um, Leeds, who I, I think probably punched above their weight for the past uh, how many years? What three, four, five three years, years now that yeah. they've been up, and yeah. Southampton, who's just got awful. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I saw it on Twitter, so I don't know what account it was, but I'll tip of the cap to you. They called Everton the turd that won't flush, and that's like the exact perfect definition of them. Like they've just been sitting there circling the drain forever, and they just won't go down. And I mean, it'll be interesting to see what they do in the summer. Um, I think there's a lot of players that want out of that club right now. Um, They obviously have the money to do stuff. Um, They have a big stadium that they're going to be opening up next season. That should be generating tons of revenue for them. But with Newcastle now in the fold, it's just another team in the Premier League to kind of attract some of the more top tier talent. And, um, you know, they're going to be pretty smart about who they buy and like what positions they reinforce. The other thing I don't really know, and maybe Saruri would be the right guy to ask, is like, are they planning on keeping Sean Dyche for the next season? Like, I always was under the impression that this was a like relegation battle only type hiring, and then they'd look for a, a new manager in the summer. Um, but, you know, if you're Everton right now, Dyche might be the best that you can find, and maybe you just have him kind of bring you to mid table for a season or two, and then you go out and try and find a, a more, you know, appealing up and coming manager. Um, but yeah, credit to them. Everton and, and Liverpool continue to have their Merseyside derbies over the next season or so. Probably be another three matches at least. Um, and Leicester, yeah. Sad sad to see them go in some ways. In other ways, not so much. I know that they've kind of had their controversial times with Liverpool fans. So I guess in that regard, good riddance. But they were a great story. They're one of, I think I wrote, I think they're one of three clubs outside of Manchester City to win the league over the last 12 seasons. Um, it's Liverpool, Chelsea, and Leicester City, um, which is pretty remarkable when you consider all the other squads that are in that that lineup with Manchester United and, and Arsenal and, and even Tottenham to an extent. Um, so down to the championship they go, and I, I don't know that they're coming back soon. Vardy, I think, is probably done. Um, Tielemans was in their midfield. He's a free agent. You know, his contract is up. Madison is probably going to want out because he's definitely a you know Premier League talent, and uh, you know, there's no. Uh, um, Claudio Ranieri coming in through that door to kind of bring them back up anytime soon. So um, we'll see how long it takes them. And Southampton probably the most deserved to go down. They were poor all season long. I think they've scored four against Liverpool on the last match of the season, which is probably more goals than they scored in like the first three months combined. But, um, you know, well-deserved to go down. I think the interesting thing for these three squads is that there's actually some decent players on all of these squads that will be sold in the summer for probably cut rate. Um, so keep an eye on that. I think um, Southampton have, you know, some midfield players that are pretty good. That'll probably move on. Um, obviously James Madison from Leicester and 
Leeds have a few. We kind of talked about it last last episode that will likely move on. Maybe Premier League, maybe abroad, but um, kind of keep an eye on that because I, I think there's definitely some some bargains to be found in those relegation teams. All right, I don't know enough about the championship, but gun to your head, Leicester, Leeds, Southampton. Are we seeing any of these three teams back up next year? No, I mean Leeds is probably the best structured to come back, but it's it's not coming back next year. Um, Southampton they've been kind of one of the teams that kind of hop up and down over the course of the last 15 seasons or so. Um, but they're, they were far and away the worst team in the premier league last season. So they'd have to do some serious rebuilding. So I I think of those three, I think leads are probably the most likely to come back next, not maybe next season, but of those three. Um, but I don't see, you know, I think Lester are going to be stuck down there for a while. Yeah, it's tough to bounce right back. I mean, even in Serie A, we don't see teams usually bounce back from Serie B immediately. Occasionally, I think, I think, I don't know if it's Hellas. Some somebody did it recently. I don't think it was Hellas because they've been up for a while now. But I'm I'm looking at the three teams that were relegated last year: Burnley, Watford, Norwich. So it does happen because Burnley killed it in the championship this year. But if you look at the other clubs, Norwich was down in 13th place, and who's the other one I'm looking for here? Where are they? Can't even see him. That's not good. Watford. Where's Watford? Oh, down at 11th. So um, it's, if it's anybody, it's probably one, like Scott said. And I, I do agree. I think Leeds is the best structured. I think Leicester is at the end of a cycle as it was with players like Vardy and those guys. I think Leeds, depending on who they can keep around, have the, the most quality of the three that are kind of in their more prime years. It's just hard to keep players around too, though, right? Like you got to keep these guys around. And you look at a club like Sunderland, who's, still going to be in the championship next year, right? They were a premier league club for had to be at least five years, right? Scott, before they went down and then they got relegated again and they've had to climb back to the championship. So it is a, it's dangerous to be down their championship. There's a a lot of teams and you lose a lot of talent when you go down that way. Okay. I'm changing by or sell to gun your head. I don't know if you guys saw that happen in real time. Gun your head too. Does Everton stay up next season or do they finally get relegated? Yeah, I think they will, mostly because if you look at the three squads that are coming up, yeah. it's Burnley, who will probably stick around. I like what they're doing. They've had a history in the Premier League, so I think they're probably well-positioned to stay up. But then Sheffield United and Lutton Town are almost definitely like here for a cup of coffee and gone the next. I mean, Sheffield United, maybe if they kind of pull a Nottingham Forest and go out and buy like six or seven players with the you know 200 million pounds that they're going to get from, from the promotion, but... Lutton Town, if you aren't familiar, just go ahead and Google their stadium. Um, this is not a squad or uh, a, a club that is built to last in the Premier League. Um, Isn't it hold like 8,000 or something like yeah, that? It's I feel like very, I saw. Yeah, it's very, very small. They're not going to have, you know, the match day revenue boosts from having uh, Premier League's, you know, sellouts every every weekend. Um, so I, I think those two squads are almost deadlocks to, to go down, which really just leaves one spot. And like, let's be honest, like, you know, Nottingham Forest kind of escaped this season. Burnmouth kind of escaped this season. Um, Crystal Palace has been up and down, but they've had some pretty, you know, poor stretches as well. Um, so there's there's going to be some some prime candidates that Everton will have to, quote unquote, compete with for for that last relegation spot. Yeah, I don't think it'll be like this year. We're all three teams staying up, Fulham, Forest, and and um, Bournemouth. I don't think that, that happens again, like Scott said, with Lutton Town. That team, I... Great story, but I don't see how they can compete at this level. Um, you know, we've seen crazier things happen. Maybe they can at least make it interesting. But, I mean, when you think of a club that small, you almost think of, like, 
potential to be like historically bad, right? And and I'm not yeah. taking anything say, away from their accomplishment. Me- mental note: Kicks and Picks podcast, August third, um, when the Premier League season is getting ready to kick off, and we do our first episode. If Lutton Town is hosting the opening match against a team like Arsenal or Liverpool, we're taking them double chance because that's a virtual lock. That happens every year where they always schedule one of these like newly promoted clubs that they're going to host and they're going to host one of the bigger top four, top five clubs. And it's always an upset because it's just like crazy atmosphere. And it's the, the All you know, lower level comes, comes out with adrenaline. And meanwhile, the, the top club is kind of like, you know, still coming off their, their summer training schedule in you know, Ibiza or wherever, and not quite ready for the, <laughs> the shit houseery that they're about to walk into. All right. I like it. So <laughs> let me, let me ask you for, this is now about two months in advance of the start of the season. Who do you think the three favorites are to be relegated by the books right now that at the moment? Oh, you got odds already? I got odds. Oh, I would, shit. I would say Lutton Town, Sheffield United, and Bournemouth. Those would be my three. Close. Yeah, let me let me um let me pick my third team because I'm gonna obviously go with, with the two that you mentioned. Um I will say Nottingham Forest probably is the uh, uh, a favorite to be relegated. So it's Lutton Town minus 250, Sheffield minus 150, Burnley plus 140, Bour- Bournemouth plus 150, and then Forest is plus 225. Yeah, okay. so I like that because I, I think, I mean, Burnley was a really good team in the championship. Burnley has always been really strong defensively, and they were strong defensively in the championship, but they learned how to score. Um, and so, again, we don't really know who's going to be, you know, brought in, what the, the, the buying is going to look like for these clubs, but I think what Burnley's base is is a lot stronger than what maybe what Burma's base is right now. The other thing yeah, I'm going to say Everton's next. I'll just throw it in there plus three fifty. I'm almost wondering, just just kind of looking at the standings, looking at the squad, a dark horse to get relegated for me is like a Crystal Palace or a Wolves, yeah. where they really weren't that far above the relegation sides this year. Just the relegation sides were that bad. Yeah, I agree with Crystal Palace. I'll say Bruno Lage has done a really, really good job with Wolverhampton because they were horrible. Remember, like they were like I think twentieth place or something when he came in. Um, yeah. They couldn't score goals for shit. Their defense was gone. They used to have a decent defense, and then they sold Connor Cody and they shifted out of their back three, and um, they were in trouble. Um, but but, Bruno but here's what I'll say, Scotty: they, they only had two more wins than Leicester, who's going down. Yeah, but they brought in Bruno not, not Lodge in like what January. Yeah, but you know. Look at pre-Bruno Lage and post-Bruno Lage, similar yeah. to, to, to Aston Villa, right? Not quite as good as Emery, but certainly at a similar level of impact and like give him a decent budget. Like we know Wolverhampton has the Portuguese connection. So like there's going to be tons of players yeah. coming in from Benfica and yeah. sporting and wherever um, that Mendez brings in. And I think they'll be able to kind of revamp their squad. So I would I would agree with Crystal Palace. I think um, it'll be interesting to what they do with Etse and, and uh, Zaha. Zaha is always the guy that's, you know, touted as being sold to some some top club. Etse just got called up for England. He looked incredible the last month, month and a half of the season for them. Um, if they have to cash in on them, you know, who do they replace him with? Because their their strength is always their attack. Um, defense has always been hit or miss for them. Um, but if they sell two of their more potent attackers, I think they're going to struggle. So let me ask you guys this before we finish up with Premier League. Just looking ahead, who do you think the top four are for, are top four for odds? So I'll go City, Liverpool, Arsenal, Newcastle. City, Liverpool, United. Newcastle. 
Uh, you guys both got Newcastle wrong. So it's ah. City minus 2,000, Liverpool minus 150, along with Arsenal, uh, United minus 125, and Newcastle's plus 125, followed by Chelsea and then Spurs, yeah. plus 150 and plus 300. Yeah, I'll be interested to see what United do this summer. Um, they have a, they're, they're growing, you know, I think Bold they found prediction. their manager. Bold prediction. They Hit will me. finish ahead of Arsenal next year. Nope, I won't take that. You can pick, you can predict that. I will I, buy it. It's my prediction. Um, Arsenal. What, if you if you buy Everton for like a bounce back season with the new stadium and everything to finish top ten, they're plus four fifty. It's gonna be this is gonna be good stuff when we get into our yeah. preview. Yeah, yeah. All so right. Obviously, um, a lot could change with the transfer market, but certainly things to keep an eye on. Yeah, I mean, good numbers now, right? If you if you can embrace the turmoil, right, and not knowing what the hell can happen, but. Um, Let's get to Italy. Let's. It's the last week of the year. We got two races: the race for Europe, um, and the race for well, race the the hope to not get relegated. Um, so European places, top four is locked up. Um, I think the Juve minus ten is now like official. Official, right? The case is closed. They're they've accepted it. I don't think they're getting that ten points, points back. Have been deducted. They're not getting refunded. Good. Like that. So uh, we got Atalanta in fifth on 61 points. They are hosting Monza. Roma in sixth on 60 points, uh, hosting Spezia. And then Juve seventh, 59 points at Udinese. Buy or sell here. Who is the odd team out, a.k.a. the team that makes the conference league? Well, I will say the caveat here is Juve are still on the hook for a potential one-year ban from UEFA. That's that's yet to be determined. So um, pretend that doesn't exist <laughs> because Juve be, fans have already done that. That could be the deciding factor. And who's is Fiorentina eighth or is uh? Yeah, I don't think they can. No, catch Torino. Anyway. Torino's eighth, um, yeah. and Monza could technically finish eighth. So that would be interesting if if Italy would get that spot um, back or how they would work that, but. Ah, as much as it it pains me to say it, I, I I'm afraid it, it could be Roma. Um, depending on what kind of lineup they have to field on Sunday against a Spezia team that's gonna be desperate for for something because their level we'll get into the relegation battle next, but their level with Hellas for that last spot of salvation. Um, I think it's it's really a tough call because you don't know how any of these teams are gonna show up. Um, is Juve just so downtrodden after the last couple of weeks that they don't give a shit at this point? Um. I don't think UEFA will say anything until the summer, so we don't know. Um, but after what transpired today, 120 minutes plus, really, they played over probably over 140 or so with the stoppages, maybe 150. Some of those guys, um, Roma could have a tough time with Spetsy at home. Maybe the crowd could boost them a little bit. Maybe some of the young kids are play a little bit inspired. But um, I'm I'm a little worried about Roma. Yeah, I think I think Atalanta are safe in this. That they're pretty good position for Europa. Um, the concern that I have for Roma right now is their goal differential is the worst of the three. Um, and it's not really something that they can make up. I think it's they're they're behind Atalanta by five and they're behind Juve by 11. Um, so in tiebreakers right now, Roma is the one that, you know, f- comes in last. Um, and when you're behind by one point, you know, a draw is, is very plausible. So I, I think it's between Roma and Juve. The fact that Juve have to go to Unese, I think, gives Roma a little bit of an advantage just because I like I like when these teams have opening and season-closing matches at home. They typically have better atmospheres and they show up. Um, so it's between those two. I'll give it a coin flip. I think Roma can figure out a draw, which should be enough for, 
at draw or better, which should be enough for them to advance. Yeah, I actually like Roma the best in this spot. I think um, Atalanta has the trickiest fixture because Monza is very clearly the best team of the three um, that need to be played. But they really realistically only need to draw, right? One point will do it for them. Um, I think, as I said, uh, Spezia, listen, they're fighting relegation, as you said, coach, but I think they are just that. They're a relegation team. That's where they're headed or where they could be headed. Um, and I think Roma's just too good for them. I, I just it, it screams to me like they want to go out and end the season on a high. Juve is the question mark for me. Um, I, I, Udinese stink. I mean, let's get that out of the way. But I I truly believe this team is starting to quit on Spalletti. Uh, Spalletti, excuse me, on Allegri. Um, so I think that kind of plays into this match like do they just kind of not go out and try to i don't want to say get him fired but do they do they go out with the poor attitude who the hell knows what kind of lineup he's going to trot out there um they have almost as many injury um problems as roma uh they're not quite there but they're pretty close so um listen you you're the team that has to make up the points you're the team that i think is the odd man out until you until i see otherwise I hope it's Juve. <laughs> I think I do. we all do. <laughs> also, just I wanted to throw out, remember when Udinese, when you just said they stink, remember when people were talking about them as like a Euro, Europa League? Yeah, sure. Way, way back in October. Yeah, like way back in October right? when they won. <laughs> think like people were jumping the gun matches. a bit? <laughs> yeah. Let's not forget the podlock was never hotter when it was betting on like Udinese totals. Yeah. It's my first game of the season. I remember it distinctly yeah. over half a goal, and they yeah. scored in the second minute against Milan. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I think they stink. So um, let's get to relegation. We have two teams in 17th and 18th place, both on 31 points. Spezia, who we talked about, going to play Roma. And Hell Ass Verona, 31 points, going to play at Milan. So buy or sell here. Who do you guys have going to Serie B? I think uh, I got to buy Hell Ass in this, in this scenario. Um, their goal differential is better, but... I. They've just been so bad for so much longer. And I think Spezia, a little bit, I don't want to say they're on the up and up, but they've they've gotten two key results in their last three matches. I think they have a little bit of momentum. And as coach said, Roma is not going to be putting out a, a full forced effort on Sunday. So I think they have the best chance at, at getting points. It's kind of a coin flip. I, it, it depends on how Milan decides to show up for this one, right? Do they want to go out in front of their home fans the last match and kind of end the season on a high? Do they kind of half-ass it because they have nothing to play for? You know, the old Serie A, these are the matches where, like, the relegation fighting team kind oh, of... Oh, I mean, four, or five, six years ago, if yeah. you you could put the mortgage on Hellas winning this game. There's no doubt about that. Probably Hellas and Spezia, right? Yep. You could have parlayed them and made a, yep. a, a ton of money because they both would have won. And in the end, they probably would have come down to goal differential. I think Spezia's got the advantage there. But that, that was like the old Serie A, like the handshake and a wink and, you know... The, <laughs> Maybe other things in, Absolutely. in behind the scenes happened, especially when it was a team that had nothing to play for playing against those teams. Um, tough call. I mean, I, I want Roma to win because I want them to at least secure Europa League for next year because I don't I don't want to go back to the Conference League. Um, it was fun to win it once, but you could win another trophy. Yeah, it's not not somewhere you want to be repeatedly. All right, wait, hold up, gun to your head, coach. Would you take Conference League if it meant you were going to win the Conference League, or would you rather just be in Europa, no guarantees? 
I'd probably take the Europa, no guarantees. Ooh, it's like you know, him. like he's, he's trophy rich now, Nick. He doesn't need con- yeah, his coach is leaving. Is like, his coach is leaving. That's the best part. Con- conference league is, is nice to win once when you haven't won a trophy in like thirteen years or whatever yep. it was, but it's not where you want to expend your energy, in my opinion. I, and I, I could not be more opposite than you because as we spoke about at the top of the show, when you have Lazio who's in second place, they made the Champions League, they're going to get zero out of it. Like if they make it out of the group stage, that is a tremendous success for a team like that. Not knowing what the group stage looks like. Give me a fucking trophy because the, the, the team, the program is not advancing. Roma's team program has not really advanced. Lazio's team under Saudi has not really advanced. They're they're in the same positions as they were before these guys got here. I don't know. Give me give me a trophy. Yeah. Well, the good news for you, Nick, is in our pod picks of the week tournament that we've had all season long, you are far and away in first place. So oh, maybe we'll go. make you up a trophy for for winning our our of the three of us best picks of the season. Very good. I will I will proudly wear that trophy. Thank you. Um all right, I, I'm going to save my answer because you're going to see it in a pick in just a few minutes. So, All right, so you want to segue into our hat trick of picks? Let's do it. All right, well, as I mentioned, Nick is far away the leader in this clubhouse right now. I think Coach and I are basically battling to be positive or negative. I think we're both right around like the negative half a unit spot right now. Um, so these are make or break picks for us for the season. Um, I'm going to start off with a plus 155 winner. It's going to be Empoli Drano bet at Lazio. Neither team really have anything to play for here, so I don't think motivation is really going to be a deciding factor. What I'm going with is Empoli are home. They're quietly on a five-game match unbeaten streak, um, so their their form is up. And you know, I don't know that's going to be a four-to-one thumping like they had against Juve a few weeks ago, but I definitely see Empoli sneaking a win here against a, a Lazio side that's pretty much mentally checked out and, and probably have their eyes on you know which villa they're going to be renting um, on the Italian coastline for the summer. All right, so I'm going to go with the team that has a lot to play for coming up, not fielding a full side here. I'm going to go Sassuolo, draw no bet, minus 115 against Fiorentina. Fiorentina will be squarely focused on the Conference League final next Wednesday, which means a lot of rotation. Um, For that reason, I'm taking Sassuolo at home. All right, so (laughs) you're going to see a very big theme in my picks here, but I am taking Milan money line. Taking on Hellas, um, one minus one twenty-five, which is a little chalky, but I think it's a good number. Um, here's the only reason we have been on this bandwagon since the beginning of the year. It's the last week of the year. We have the chance to make it happen. I have to take Hellas Verona to lose this game and get relegated. We just have to. I have no more analysis on it other than that. If Hellas win, are you going to be cl- claiming that Milan were on the take? Um. Possibly. Uh, I have to see how the game plays. I can't just claim that. I have to see how the game plays. There has to be like one defining moment, like a a blunder, goalkeeper blunder or missed penalty or Giroud who scored four fucking goals last week and and all of a sudden you can't hold the ball, something like that. So let's see how it goes. Can't rule it out. Yeah. All right. Um, I'll take for my second pick, I'll stay with with Milan clubs. I'm going to take Torino versus Inter, the under two and a half. It's virtually even money, minus 105. I, I must be missing something because Torino are a top five defense in Serie A this season, and Inter are clearly going to have both eyes on the Champions League final against City. 
Um, so there's not going to be a strong attacking player in this lineup. I can't imagine. Um, realistically, there may only be one goal in this match, but I won't get greedy. I won't take the under one and a half, which is what I would love to do in this case. But um, under two and a half should be a, a virtual lock at even money. You can't complain. Um, Torino enter under two and a half. Yeah, and, and I will say, um, Coach, fact check me on this, but I saw Inter called up like six or seven Primavera guys for this match. Like, there's their projected starting lineup is like eight guys that don't normally feature. Wouldn't shock me. I think if yeah. you see any of the bigger players, it's just for like 20, 30 minutes toward the end just to, to have their legs, I think. because It'll they, probably they be whoever later. he's not planning on starting, right? So if like he, if you're thinking he's starting Lotaro and, and um, Lukaku, Jacko yeah. probably gets a half hour in this yeah. game or something like that. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I agree with Scotty. I'm sorry. I think the only way this doesn't hit is if Torino wins like 3 nothing or something like that. But that's no way. doubtful. And I'm going to piggyback that pick with Torino Moneyline plus 125 against Inter. Ah, there um, you like, go. Like, like we just talked about, they have the Champions League final week. There's no reason for any of their key men to play more than a handful of minutes. I'll take Torino to go out at home. They play good defense. They'll be in the home, front of the home crowd. And what better way to end the season in front of the home fans? And Inter can kind of just coast into that final and put all their energy there. All right. I am unbanning Juventus for the last week of the year. Feels right. Um, I did stick by my promise of not taking corners for like the last three months of the year. So we're making an exception for Juve. Minus 115 on the money line. Mentioned it before. Udinese stink. And I just think uh, this is like a Scott subscription right here. It, it's an absolutely fucking insane story. If the worst Juventus this year in the history of ever, everybody hates Allegri. Vlahovic can't score anymore, this, that, and the other thing. If they win this game and they still make Europa League, getting 10 points docked, I, I think that's just an unreal story. So I'm betting on it to happen. Yeah, Chiesa injured too. I mean, he played – has he been playing much in the last, like, two months? Did he play 15 games this year? I don't even know. No. I mean, he played less than than Dybala, which is saying something. Right. All right, speaking of Dybala, my third and final lock of the weekend, I'm going with Roma versus Spezia. I'm also taking the under two and a half. It's a must-win game for Spezia. We already talked about that. Um, Roma coming off pretty much as deflating of a loss as you can get in a final that went to penalty kicks and just only got one penalty out of, I guess, three. They didn't have to take the fourth one. Um, So unless Roma are, are planning on coming out and scoring a few own goals for this one, I don't see there being many goals at all. Um, under two and a half minus 120, not as good as the minus 105 in the inter Torino line, but I still think as virtually a, a lock as you can get in, in the Serie A this, this weekend. All right, I'm going with my last one. Two teams without absolutely nothing to play for Cremonese against Salernitana over two and a half at minus 150. I think Cremonese is going to want to end their time in Serie A with a, a bang and look for goals. Salernitana should be able to hit them back and on the counter. I think we get at least three in this one. Um, shout on this one. I don't have the odds in front of me. I don't even know if they're out yet, but Kondreva scored like five games in a row or some shit like that for Slinitana. Just, just may have to make that up. look that up for the, for the patrons. Yeah. Um, could be. And, uh, sorry, I should have piggybacked off of you, Scott. I am sticking with Roma money line minus one ten at Spezia. I think this, uh, you know, what I was saying is this to me is like a Mourinho wins or leaves type match. So you need to have some action on it. That was really kind of where I'm at. I'm like, oh, yeah, I got to bet on Jose. Um, but according to Coach Steve and sources, it, that may not matter. But yeah, lame duck I, manager. May yeah. not. I, I've seen the, the quotes construed different ways now that I've been scrolling through Twitter. We'll see. We'll see. Okay. So wait, people on Twitter are not 100% truthful. 
Believe it or not, believe it or not. Yeah. No, I, <laughs> I sometimes think... they take snippets instead of the full quote and and the such. So we'll see. Yeah, I think if if he loses this game, he's probably leaving one way or the other. Yeah, I don't think he's going to conference league. That's for damn sure. Maybe exactly. Europa League, he sticks so, around, but definitely not. So league. don't. It, it, I, I'm betting that those forces are larger than the Spezia trying to stay up forces. Fair. Nick Kondreva anytime goal scorer plus two eighty. Yeah. Okay. That's an okay number. That, that's not, that's not what I would say is like must bet territory because he's not a forward. Um, you know, he's a winger, but I, I think it's pretty likely that he gets a goal if he starts. All right. Well, speaking of lame duck managers, our pod lock of the week is going to be Sampdoria plus two minus one thirty five at Napoli. We said last week, if Sam's lost another bet for Nick, then we'd have to make them a pod lock this week. Wouldn't you know it? The only bet that Nick didn't win all weekend was his Sampdoria bet. So that means we have to place a wager on them this weekend. Two weeks in a row that uh, the only loss is Sampdoria. Yeah. And to be honest with you guys, I think this is actually a really good bet. You know, Spalletti being on his way out, not a whole lot of motivation there. Napoli have better things to do than and host Sampdoria for a pretty much a friendly at this point, since Napoli are locked into first and, and Sampdoria are locked into last. Um but to make things even a little bit better, Napoli haven't actually won a game by more than two goals since April 4th. And I think that was against Milan. I think they beat Milan 4-0. Um, so them getting a, a three-goal win on this last weekend of the summer, or sorry, this last week of the season, basically the first weekend of summer, it just doesn't seem all that realistic. It, it might be like a, a 1-0, you know, 2-1 squeaker. But with the two goals, you're, you're virtually safe from losing this unless some unforeseen circumstance arises and, and Sampdoria players all come down with a, a sudden case of the shits and just let Napoli walk the ball in. So we'll end the season with a, a guaranteed lock here. Um, Love it. This has to win. I think the worst case scenario is you're getting your money back at a two goal loss. Anything else to add boys? It's a hell of a season. Hell yeah. Uh, a lot of fun. Hope you guys enjoyed. I'm sorry. We couldn't keep up our scorching hot start, but very, very happy to be, uh, plus units on the season, likely and hopefully plus double-digit units for you. Um, follow along. We'll have Champions League uh, final episode coming out shortly as well. Uh, got some good stuff planned for the summer. And thank you guys for riding along with us. If you enjoy it, just please do us a favor and uh, give us a share, subscribe, a like, a retweet. Uh, all, all of it goes a long way. So thank you guys and talk to you soon.